أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على أشرف الأنبياء والمرسلين سيدنا محمد وعلى آله والصحبه أجمعين السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته Welcome everybody to session number four of our journey and uh, learning about the life of our beloved Prophet Muhammad وسلم, and uh, trying to connect with Sira in our lives today in 2023 before we begin, as usual, let's begin with a silent intention. Uh, recite Surah Al-Fatiha silently from the depths of your heart and ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to bless your heart with his nur and his knowledge during the session. There is a significance to mentioning light and knowledge together. And this is something that maybe the listeners who are listening to us on, uh, online or later on, they might find it a bit way uh, disappointing. But there is a special benefit of attending these classes live. Then barakat Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala literally live. So whether it's live in person here or live online, there's a there's an advantage of benefiting from the nur that gets uh, blessed in such gatherings. For one thing is knowledge, and the other is really okay. For shway louder, I'll I'll increase the volume. For nur and knowledge, there's a difference between the two. Knowledge is information. It's an academic exercise. It's an intellectual exercise. You can get knowledge in books. Uh, workshops, uh, pod, uh, podcasts, um, YouTube videos, and all of that. Basnur is something that's special. It's directly from Allah, and it goes directly into your heart. It's not a mind exercise. And so one of the benefits of the intention, and that's why I asked you to ask Allah to grant you both, if you notice, knowledge and nur as well, because nur comes directly from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And uh, both are equally important we live in times where there's so much emphasis on knowledge 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 mind intellect academics basnur is where the huda and guidance comes huda and guidance and knowledge you can have a lot of knowledge but no guidance all emphasis on us is on guidance then aslan surah al-fatiha focuses on what what's the central Dua of Surah Al-Fatiha. <laughs> so notice, we're asking for Hidayah. For knowledge is important, it's necessary, but light of guidance is also equally important. And that's why, يعني, Hikmat, in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Anzal al Quran. And he sent a living example of the Prophet ﷺ as a teacher, as a guide. A living guide among the Sahaba. There was two things going on. The Qur'an was speaking to their minds. It was also... Qur'an is also nur, by the way. Unlike any other book. 
one of the miracles of the Quran is it's not just an academic book. Yes, it does feed your intellect and your mind, but it also has the nur of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So it can actually spiritually also benefit you. But on top of that, when you have a teacher like the Prophet he has a special nur of himself also. That's why the Sahaba, for them, being in the presence of the Prophet was an honor, a blessing in and of itself. And they, they were benefiting from just being close to him. Literally, some, some non-Muslims would just see the Prophet Sallallahu oh, They would accept Islam just by seeing him. وَلَا كَلْمَ يسمعون منا. Because of that nur. And so I wanted to start off with just uh, the idea of what did the Prophet Sallallahu invite non-Muslims to. the last time, but we'll just touch on it before we continue with our session. His message was simply two words, Aslim Taslim. And this was written to many, many kings during his time where he would write them letters and he would invite them. And notice how simple it is. It's an invitation. Aslim Taslim. Accept Islam and you will attain peace. That's a simple translation of that. Another translation would be surrender and you shall attain peace. Or submit and you shall attain peace. Well, salama is what? It's to be free from pain and suffering. Yes or no? Yes? Salama. Also, one of the meanings here is that accept Islam and you will be relieved from the suffering of life. For the way he invited them was in a very practical way, a solution to every human being's problems, right? And today more than ever, we talk about emotional issues, we talk about mental health, a lot of people struggling with anxiety, loneliness, Depression, lack of purpose, lack of self-confidence, lack of direction in life, confusion, doubt. Many people are just bored. <clears throat> That's why Netflix is doing so well. And that feeds off of that, yes? And it's filling in that gap. But there's pessimism. And notice, yani, this downward spiral, you see, this is the... Khutuwat al-Shaytan and these are the veils and the dhulumat that people are exposed to and it's a feeling of being stuck and every dhulma takes you deeper into a, a, a darker and deeper dhulma starts off with boredom goes to pessimism just being negative about everything about the economy about marriage about life about God about khalas everything is just negative you become frustrated, irritated, impatient, overwhelmed. Life becomes difficult to handle. You're always disappointed whenever you read the news. You scroll on your social media pages. You're disappointed with what's happening in life. There's doubt. So many opinions out there. So many different formulas for success and happiness. So many theories. 
there is worry, there is worry about your children, worry about yourself, worry about your future. Some people have financial worries, some people have worries related to relationships, health worries. And then there's a sense of blame. We tend to look for someone to blame for our problems. Many of us blame Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Some people blame shaitan. Maybe some blame their parents, society. Uh, I don't know, the new world order. It's always someone to blame. And you become discouraged. There's a lot of anger and rage. There's hatred. Jealousy, insecurity. And as we go lower, there's guilt. Un- lack, a feeling of being unworthy. That's a big one. I see it all the time. When someone feels like they're not enough. Not appreciated, not loved, not given the attention that they want. Something's missing, there's lack. The Quranic term for that would be al-faqr. And at the depth of the ego, this is what it feeds off of. The ego is faqir. It's needy, it always needs something, right? The need for attention, the need to be right. The need to be known and to be noticed and to be appreciated and to be recognized. The need to be respected. And then there's also fear, grief, depression, powerlessness, being a victim. Some people, for them, the only solution out of this is what? Suicide. Suicide, last resort. (laughs) Misgavaldi. So how do you face all of this? Of course, drugs, alcohol. Yes, you numb the pain, you escape temporarily. You um, binge watch, binge eat. Food, womanizing for men. It's a nice escape sometimes. All sorts of distractions. Drugs and alcohol do magic. Literally, you you know. Uh, some people try meditation, do Ashya Chidi, Yoga, Mayoga. It's temporary, you feel nice for a while, but then it just goes away. And it's a great business because, you know, just keep going back and you pay, keep pumping in that money. But after a while, you're like, Zeno, Badin, Shinoyani. Until when am I going to be taking these pills? Depression pills, Xanax, Ashya Thania, very, very uh, popular. There was one that came. Common also for Bahrain, Lush is smack on. Larica, yeah, yeah. <laughs> My mother recently uh, had to use them, so I was wondering, Yanni, I just this is really literally Surat al Jahim. Surat al Mustaqim, Surat al Jahim. literally to be stuck in this. إِنَّمَا ذَلِكُمُ الشَّيْطَانُ يُخَوِّفُ أَوْلِيَاءَهَ I shall distract them and turn all of them away from you. But there is an exception. إِلَّا عِبَادَكَ مِنْهُمُ الْمُخْلَصِينَ 
So the, the only exception here is the, the ibad of Allah, those who yaslimoon ilallah subhanahu wa ta'ala, those who submit to their God, to their master, in obedience, in trust, in everything. It's a surrender. Islam is submission entirely. Your whole life is submitted to him. You no longer live for yourself. It's not a self-centered life. High narcissistic type of lifestyle, you know, where it's all about me, my needs, my wants, my goals, my desires, my temptations. There's no end to that. Yes. Mm. Yeah, it's a very good question. So uh, the shara puts puts the line for us. Yeah. Uh, exactly, exactly. Feathers. We need. That's why we need divine revelation to tell us what's the red lines. Yani. Oh, um, without that, then You know, like everyone has their own line and border. There's chaos in society. There's no standards. There's no framework where everybody lives by. But we'll talk about this specific concept in depth later on. It's a good question. needy and always in lack. Whereas Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants us to be aghniya but by being fuqara to him. It's a very important point. Allah is al-ghani wa nahnu al-fuqara ila Allah. So when we submit to al-ghani, we become ghani aghniya billah. We become because khalas we have him and when we have him we we are we have everything. Allah says fasayakfikahumullah. He said to the Prophet sallallahu The longest word in the Quran. Fasayakfikahumullah. It comes Yes, it's one word. Uh, it comes from Al-Kafaya, uh, Al-Kafi. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will make sure that He is enough for you. You won't need them anymore. Because when you have Allah, you have everything. And when you don't have Allah, you have nothing. Literally, the downward spiral is when you are lost. When you don't have Allah, you don't have light, you don't have guidance. You have nothing. And, then, and that feeling of nothingness is what frustrates you. It's what pulls you down. And notice it's a downward force because dunya pulls us down. This world, uh, the word dun- dunya comes from dunu, low. It pulls us down. Yani it, it doesn't lift you up. It's a downward pressure. Allah says, قَدْ أَفْلَحَ مَنْ زَكَّاهَا وَقَدْ خَابَ مَنْ دَسَّاهَا About the nafs. وَنَفْسٍ وَمَا سَوَّاهَا فَأَلْهَمَهَا فُجُورَهَا وَتَقْوَاهَا قَدْ أَفْلَحَ مَنْ زَكَّاهَا The one who purifies and lifts this nafs up is indeed one. وَقَدْ خَابَ مَنْ دَسَّاهَا And the one who suppresses it, ignores it, خَاب They've lost. 
And so Allah says, Allahu amanu. Allah is the protective friend of those who believe. What does He do? يُخْرُجُهُمْ مِنَ الظُّلُمَاتِ إِلَى النُّورِ Allah will take you out of the darknesses into the light. Just submit to Him and He'll do it for you. But then on the other side, وَالَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا أَوْلِيَاءُهُمُ الطَّاغُوتِ Taghut is another name for a shaitan. يُخْرِجُونَهُمْ مِنَ النُّورِ إِلَى الظُّلُمَاتِ They do the opposite. They want to take you out of the light into the darkness. But there's these two opposing forces. The one who seeks, hello, the one who seeks to be satisfied with this world will never be. He will always be faqir, always be in need, always be lacking something. There's always going to be something missing. But when you find Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it starts off with this feeling of contentment. Hopefulness. You know, what is Iman at the root of it? It is hope. صح? It is some kind of faith in that Allah is there. He is watching over us. And we trust that He loves us. We have this positive expectation that Allah is a loving God. He is a Rahman al-Rahim. And He sent down the Quran and the Prophets as guidance for us. So therefore, He wants us to be guided. So He is a friendly God. He doesn't want us to suffer. He has given us literally a manual to follow. He's given us, given us the way of the Prophet ﷺ to follow. And then that leads to enthusiasm, passion for a purpose. You find a purpose in your life. And the ultimate purpose is ibadah. Now ibadah here doesn't just mean salah, salam, zakah, hajj. It's a more holistic Meaning of submitting your entire life for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then how does that translate into action? It's by being a khalifa of Allah on earth. And what does this khalifa do? Islah. Because iman without amal salih is useless. It's not real. It's fake iman. One of the necessary fruits of iman is... Amal Salih. And Amal Salih means you fix things that are broken. And we talked about how this ship, the world is sinking and there is holes in the ship of the world and we need to figure out what hole we want to work on and, and that would be your purpose. That would be your direction. And that is your service to humanity. That is your role as a Khalifa. You are a servant of God on earth. You serve. So again, it's not, it's not self-centered anymore. You're living a God-centered life. You do everything for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's sake. Not seeking any worldly praise, recognition. And Allah already is Al-Aziz. For when you're Abdul Aziz, He is honoring you already. خلاص أنا I'm fulfilled. When he is Al-Kareem, he is already معطني الكرامة لبيها. Can anyone take away this karama from you? No way. Can anyone take this عزّة from you and make you ذليل? No. When Allah gives you عزّة, nobody can take it away. When Allah gives you karama, nobody can take it away. And when Allah tells you I'm close, I'm قريب, you will never feel lonely. When Allah tells you that I am a Sami' 
المجيب you always have someone to talk to and so when you're on this upward path this path of light نور and notice there's only one نور ظلمات are many نور is one it is the نور of Islam it is the نور of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa which the whole world today needs and that is true wealth abundance when you are attached to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, when you are holding on to the rope of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The only thing that you know people talk about unity and oneness. The ultimate oneness is Islam. Because we all hold on to the rope of Allah. The Quran and the teaching of the Prophet, it's guidance for all of humanity. And it leads to joy, empowerment. You become strong, extremely strong. And we'll talk about courage today. We'll talk about how Arabs were so courageous. Lish. Shown as Sahaba Khan was so courageous. Where did this all come from? When you're with Allah, when you know that Allah has your back, you become Qawi. Qawiya Billah. Qawi Billah. But when you don't have Allah, then of course you're weak, you're alone. You're relying on yourself, you're relying on people, you're relying on dunya. But when you rely on Al-Wakil, the one who you can entrust with all your affairs, then you become unshakable, unstoppable, nothing can come in your way. That is true self-confidence, true self-esteem. Extremely empowering. Notice how Aslim Taslam, such a powerful statement. And yani, in it is an invitation, it's not by force. There's no, there's no forcing in the deen. La ikraha fi deen. You can't force someone to become a Muslim. Allah tells the Prophet, Are you going to force people to become Islam, uh, to become Muslims? No, it's not going to happen. All you do is you invite. Yani hatta Musa السلام, he was sent to like the ultimate tyrant in the Quran. Who was he? Fir'aun, صح? What was his mission with Fir'aun? Does anyone know? Yes, Allah sends Musa and his brother Harun to Fir'aun and he tells them فَقُولَ لَهُ قَوْلًا لَيِّنًا Perhaps he may be guided. Perhaps his heart might be softened with this. But if Fir'aun rejects this message, what was the ask? What did Musa ask Fir'aun? Exactly. To literally let Bani Israel have the freedom to choose their faith. And to not be suppressed by Fir'aun's injustice uh, regime and system. Literally. Yani. And I ask Fir'aun, fine, if you don't, we're inviting you, Aslim to Aslim, but if you don't want to accept this message, at least give your people the freedom to 
choose literally يعني, move out of their way let them choose then حق كل مسلم is to be given the freedom to choose their deen and historically this is what happened when the Islam started spreading especially in countries where there was a lot of injustice or oppression they wanted Islam to free them literally and the ultimate freedom for them was Islam it's so ironic right many people they're like agitated about Islam and it's so restricting it's limiting there's so many do's and don'ts so many rules Sharia law Marshino la 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 I want freedom I don't want to be restricted in my lifestyle that's the reality is ultimate freedom is Tawheed is when you say la ilaha illallah there is no one truly worthy of worship except Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that is true freedom and, and ultimate slavery is when you are enslaved to your desires and to the shaitan's traps and to, to people and pleasing people and seeking seeking status in society and wanting to own more and more and more and wanting to please others and wanting to gain recognition and respect and pride and honor this is ultimate slavery you're enslaved to people and to your own desires and to the shaitan and to this world this dunya and to your nafs have you seen the one who has taken his literally his hawa his desires as his god it's either you take your your hawa as your god or you take allah as your god true freedom comes when you take allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as your god and then the the deen and the sharia becomes your framework to live a very beautiful life And that entire framework, the do's and the don'ts, they're all there for your manfa'ah. Remember last class, al-maqasid, it's all there to, huf, uh, to, to do hifadah of you. Hifad al-deen, ya Allah, many dhakar al-khamsa, hifad al-deen, hifad al-nafs. Huh, it was your homework to memorize. Hifad al-nasl, naam, lineage And two more. Al-mal. And al-aql, right? Okay, moving on. So, like I told you, one of the adab of, of starting to study the seer of the Prophet ﷺ is to go over something called shama'il, which is descriptions of the Prophet ﷺ, so that you get to know him more. So, inshallah, these are some excerpts of some descriptions that were recorded by some of his closest uh, companions. And... What it does, it gives you, of course, a, a physical kind of perspective of what he looked like. But you know the benefit of this? Does it really matter what he looked like? What do you think? It gives you an image, but what's the point of knowing the image? Mm. Yeah, yeah, great point. Like his build wasn't, uh, he wasn't too long, but he wasn't too short. Yes. You know? I, to show you 
البشريه of the Prophet ف let's let's look look at some examples. So in one hadith, the Prophet tells us that Yusuf was given half of all the beauty. Have you heard this before? Yeah. So one minority interpretation of this hadith is that who was given all of the beauty of the world? The Prophet Muhammad okay. And so one father says to his son that if you were to have seen him, you would have thought that the sun had risen up. And you'll often see this. The Prophet being resembled as the sun, literally in his brilliance, in his radiance, in his bright face, the nur. Ka'ab describes him as whenever the Prophet was happy, his face would light up as if it was the full moon. And notice the, the Arabs, like their descriptions, Killa and Al Qamar, Nujum, Shams. Why? Because Arabs, that's all they see, right? They don't have YouTube and Snapchat or TikTok. But that's what they see. But for them, it's just the sky and there's this moon and there's the sun. And there's a tent and there must be other objects to relate to, Yani, you know. For they had they had time to see all these beautiful things. They had time to look up. Our necks get stiff and like you know, it feels funny. Hatta there was a, a movie that came out recently, Don't Look Up. Has anyone seen it? Yeah. Yeah, interesting. Amr ibn al-As, he says, there was nothing that was sweeter or more beloved to me than to stare at the face, uh, at the face of the Prophet Notice the, the love here, yes? And hi, this is the highlight of his day, just to go and see the Prophet And he says, I could never get enough of looking at him. And yet, this is so beautiful, and yet, were you to ask me how he looked? I couldn't describe him because along with this desire to stare at him there was also this awe I had that couldn't allow me to stare directly at him and I had to look down his heiba and his like just out of reverence and respect so even though I love to stare I couldn't but there's these mixed feelings but someone like him he loved seeing the Prophet ﷺ, but you ask him what did he look like? Because I could never like constantly stare out of like adab, you know. Does that happen? Like Yeah. Yeah, in the Indo-Pak tradition, when, when there's arranged marriages and stuff, this happens between the husband and the wife. Like, literally, you know, and then, like, they literally get married and you want to look, but you don't want to look. And there's this very beautiful innocence. I've seen it. I have several cousins who've been married that way. And mashallah, beautiful marriages. Like, they're doing well. It's it's a very very unique uh, experience. Basmadri, does it exist nowadays? Fi where you want to look at someone but you don't can't look. Eh? When there's just maybe there's this pure love. I don't know. And then Ali bin Abi Talib, of course, um, 
he was very young when, when he became a Muslim. We'll read about or study about that when we get there. But he described the Prophet that he did not have a narrow face nor was it round. It was slightly ovalish. He had a whitish skin, kind of light brown. His eyes were large with jet black pupils and his lashes were long. His joints were large as was his upper back. He had broad shoulders. He didn't have hair all over his body, but he did have a fine line of hair extending from the chest to the navel. Notice diqqa, yani. They were very specific and peculiar about the description. When he walked, he would walk briskly as if descending down a slope. And some ulama say that this is because yani, it's as if Allah made the earth in front of him humble to him. When he turned, he would turn to face with his full body out of respect. Between his two shoulders was the seal of prophethood, literally a physical evidence of his prophethood. Actually, behind his shoulders. Uh, kind of like a mole with tiny pieces of hair on it. The seal of prophethood. Literally, the seal of the of prophethood for the seal of prophet of the prophets. Khatim and Nabiyin. Whoever unexpectedly saw him would stand in awe of him. And whoever accompanied him and got to know him would love him. And those who described him would always say, I have never seen anyone before him or after him who was like him. And then Anas ibn Malik also says, The Prophet was neither very tall, such that he stood above the crowd, nor was he short that he would be ignored. And he was neither extremely white, nor was he ruddy brown. The Prophet's hair was not in curls, nor was it straight. Kind of wavy. Yani. And I never felt any velvet or silk softer than the hand of the Prophet. Nor did I smell any musk or perfume more fragrant than the smell of the sweat of the Prophet. Um Salama, his wife, used to collect his sweat in a jar to use it as perfume and medicine. And Al-Bara ibn Azib says the Prophet ﷺ was of medium stature. He had broad shoulders. And notice these are different accounts of his description. And you, do you notice consistency? Yes? So medium stature, broad shoulders, his hair was thick. And the Prophet ﷺ would grow his hair until it went down to his earlobes. Once I saw him wearing a red cloak and jacket and I never saw anything more beautiful than him on that night. And Jabir bin Samura says one day he was going home at night and there was a full moon that night. And he just happened to pass by the Prophet and he was wearing a red cloak. Interestingly, in both narrations there's a red cloak being worn. And Jabir says, I looked at the face of the Prophet and I looked at the moon. I looked at his face, I looked at the moon. He's trying to figure out what's more beautiful. And he swears, Wallahi, the Prophet was more beautiful in my eyes than the full moon. And Abdullah bin Salam, who was one of the chief rabbis of uh, the Jews, who became Muslim, he says, as soon as I saw him, I knew this face cannot be the face of a liar. Notice, no conversation has taken place just by seeing him. For those people who had this pure fitra 
immediately they would see that this is something very very special there's someone very very special so are you looking forward to see him inshallah one day yeah inshallah we'll all see him and by the way how will the prophet recognize you there's going to be so many people shown how do you recognize you? How will he? On the day of judgment, there's so many people. How will you recognize the believers? There will be nur on your faces. From what? By the way, not just your faces, like all the body parts for wudu will be shining with brilliant white light. That, that will be the sign that these are the people of prayer. Moving on to the wisdom of sending Prophet ﷺ to Arabia, the Arab. Why Arabia? There's, it's an interesting question, For number one, it was very strategically located. Middle East, literally in the middle of the world. And we talked about the two major empires, Shinokano, the Roman Empire and the Persian Empire. Very good. Okay, so Persian is more on the east, Roman is more on the west. What's in the middle? Arabs. Well, by the way, within a span of 20 to 40 years, just 20 to 40 years, the Muslims conquered both these superpowers. Who could have expected that, Jan? Our, literally shepherds Filbar, Khiyam or Bedu conquering the world's superpowers oh, by the way they say that يعني, Arab they never even care to have uh, colonies in the Arab world يعني, they, they had a lot of colonization in Europe and other places uh, in, in Asia but ليش? they never looked at the Arab world This is we're talking about before Quran now. We're talking about Arabs literally before the Quran. Why were the two major empires of the time not interested in colonizing these uh, this place on, on earth? Yani? Exactly, basically, yani, no point, you know, and this is from the hikmah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the du'a of Ibrahim is, you know, and and هذا البلد exactly. رب جعل هذا بلدا آمنا ورزق أهله من الثمرات. And today the du'a has been answered. Subhanallah. Literally, the whole world, when it comes to seeking money, when there is lack of liquidity, when they have shortage of funds, where do they come? They come to this part of the world. And who, they, who do they sell their defense stuff to? This part of the world. It's the, best, it's the best customer in the world. With the deepest pockets in the world. It's just increasing more and more. So 
والعرب باي ذا واي ذي وير اولويز ذي نيفر ايفن كيرد ولا فكروا في الروم وهاي لان اصلا ذي ار نوت انترستد ان ذيم اند ذا اربس ار اولسو بيزي فايتنج امونجست ايتش اذر فذا هول وورلد واز شوكت وين ذي هيرد ذات مسلمز هاف كونكرد ذا رومانز اند ذا بيرجنز ان جست ليس ذان 50 ييرز اميزنج اند وين وي سي كونكرد وات دوز ات مين يعني مو بلاد شاد وذي لا ات واز كونكرينج ذير هارتس بيسكلي يعني يو نو سبريدنج سبريدنج ذا مسج اوف بيس اند اوف كورس ذير واز بلاد شاد بت ذات وزنت ذا جول ذا جول واز تو ميك ات ايزي فور بيبل تو تشوز ويذر ذي ونت اكسبت اسلام اور نوت يو نو تو ريموف ذا ريزيستنس تو ريموف ذا انجستس اند اوبريشن بت ليترلي لايك سوبر هيروز يعني تعرفون باتمان سوبرمان وات دو ذي دو يعني واتس ذير جوب ليترلي فايتنج انجستس صح يعني فليترلي ان اور هيستوري لايك وي هاف اكشوال سوبر هيروز ذات فوت انجستس اند اوبريشن اند ذي ذي ونت تو جينوينلي هيلب بيبل يو نو وباي ذا واي العرب ذي دينت هاف اني يونيك سيفيلايزيشن لايك ذا رومانز و the persians they didn't have literature maka andhum language as such i mean language was there but in terms of literature being written and being studied maka andhum hukuma law order no art no architecture this is what makes a civilization صح when you think of roman civilization or persian civilization But this vacuum was a blessing in disguise because the Quran was going to give them that because they had this thirst for having their own civilization, you know. So for a lot of people, this was a way for them to kind of build their own civilization. The Quran gave them that legacy. Why? The Quran remembers them. Before that, they were unknown on earth. Who cared about the Arabs? Who had... No, nobody honored them no, nobody even mentioned them but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala فوق سبع سماوات ينزل كتاب خالدا ليوم القيامة what is it constantly reminding you of الآخرة and it's talking about these people صح يعني their mention is there Allah mentions the A'rab it mentions the believers it mentions what inspired them you know what made them go into deep thoughts What made them ponder upon the creation of the earth and the skies and the moon and the stars? But it's indirectly mentioning them, you see? Then the Quran also was revealed in a span of 23 years, 13 years in Mecca, 10 years in Medina. The Quran is pretty much being revealed at different stages of Seerah. And who is Quran being recited to? It's, re- it's recited through Muhammad Sallallahu but to who? Not just the Kuffar, so, so all, all the people. His audience was primarily Al-Mushrikeen of Mecca. It was the Jews of Medina. It was Al-Munafiqoon. It was the believers. It was the Sahaba. So like multiple audiences. And the Quran is speaking to all of them. And it's... being revealed in a very timely manner for a specific incident where it's very contextual kill ayas contextual kill surahs contextual but think of the quran as literally a record of 
what happened in those 23 years to the Arabs of that time, literally. But it's such an honor for them to be mentioned, you know, in the Quran in that manner. Yes. Correct. How do we, like, how did they know to do that? Do we know how? Yeah, very good question. So the question is, I'll repeat for the listeners, that the Quran was revealed in a specific order during the life of the Prophet ﷺ, but then it was, as we see it today in our Mus'haf, it's compiled in a different sequence, صح? So it's Al-Fatiha, Al-Baqarah, and then it ends with Al-Nas. So that, so the compilation of the Quran was done during the time of the Prophet ﷺ. not in writing but in the hearts. It was already done. For the preservation of the Quran in its sequence, as we find it today in the Mus'haf, was done during the time of the Prophet ﷺ. So two things are happening. On the one hand, Quran is being revealed. We wouldn't say randomly, but scattered all over the place. Which is Surah Al-Alaq, which is somewhere in the middle of Juz'amma, right? And so the Quran is being revealed. And, and the best example I can give of how this was, like how remarkable this is, right? A city being built. And so there's homes, there's towers, there's schools, there's hospitals. Kill building in that city is a surah okay and and some buildings have started some buildings haven't started yet as the prophet's life uh, of his, uh, his prophethood starts and as the timeline starts ticking at the age of 40 a building is being that the bricks of that building started and then another incident happens and another brick starts with a different surah. And sometimes multiple buildings are being construct- constructed simultaneously. Some surahs are being re- revealed in one shot, like Surah Al-Fatiha. So that's one building in one, one shot, literally seven ayat. Surah Al-Fatiha is done. Surah Al-Baqarah took 10 years to be revealed. So that building of Surah Al-Baqarah took 10 years to be built. Did it happen? In one shot over 10 years, and in the 10 years of Surah Al-Baqarah, no, a bit of Surah Al-Baqarah, a bit of Al-Imran, a bit of Al-Nisa, a bit of Ankabut. And so all of this is happening, and it's being revealed to the Prophet in his heart, and he's reciting his ayat. But at the same time, who's coming down every Ramadan to the Prophet to do an annual review of the Quran? Jibreel alayhi salam. And so the ulama say that the, that annual review of the Quran was being done in the in the order that we find it today. Does that make sense? Yeah. On the one hand, the city is being constructed with different surahs until his final days. The last surahs were being finished off. The whole city was ready and, and completed. But then the order was also in parallel being memorized in its perfect form. For there is... There is divine wisdom in the order of the Quran as we find it today. Lish al-Fatiha, Lish al-Baqarah, and every ayah, every every ayah and its sequence, every surah and its sequence. There's 
a lot of miracles and, and significance in it. There's ishtihadat, but it's all historical. There's, يعني, you can't. This was the sequence. Because it's just so difficult to keep track of it. Imagine 114 surahs being revealed in a span of 23 years. In, some are Meccan surahs, some are Medinan surahs, some are half completed in Mecca, some are half completed in Medina. It's impossible to keep track. So <coughs> back then they didn't have like uh, Excel sheets and stuff to keep track. Yani. Literally, it was just memory, you know. Uh, but there are some books written about the order of the surahs. But um, yani, you can't rely on it hundred percent. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah. If a Rasul was reviewing the Quran every Ramadan with, the, with Jibreel alayhi salam. And in his last year, the, the review was done how many times? In his last year of the life of the Prophet Eight times. No, twice. Twice, yeah. For a lot of Sahaba, they, they got the hint. And Madam al-Quran was reviewed twice. Thank you, thank you, Zachary. Madam, it was reviewed twice this year. Man, it's a sign, and as you know, the Prophet is going to be leaving soon. Yeah. And notice what Surah Al-Anbiya says about this point. لَقَدْ أَنزَلْنَا إِلَيْكُمْ كِتَابًا فِيهِ ذِكْرُكُمْ أَفَلَا تَعْقِلُونَ Notice, it's talking to the Arabs. It mentions you guys. You know? So imagine how this made them feel. And of course, Mecca being the center of the universal religion of Ibrahim alayhi salam. Yes, was that known to a lot of religions? Yes, of course. Ibrahim alayhi salam, a very, very powerful, uh, a very popular personality, historically. Ma'roof innahuwa imamul, or um, the father of the monotheistic religions. Sah? Ma'roof. It was also significant to send the Prophet to this specific location where the Kaaba was built. Notice it's the first house of worship ever ever built. Notice, not just for the Arabs, it is blessed and it is guidance for all of humanity. And then Ba'ad, another wisdom of sending the Prophet to the Arabs was the positive qualities of Arabs. Last session or the one before we talked about the negative qualities of the Arabs. صح? But we have to be fair also. يعني, yes, they used to bury their daughters alive. Yes, they, there were no women rights. Yes, they used to have tribal warfare and a lot of ego and, and discrimination. Best, they also had positive qualities. Number one, their, the purity of their spirits. What does that mean? They weren't exposed to the philosophical indoctrinations of, the, of other ideologies like the Greeks. Who, like the Persians, they had a religion called... Zoroastrianism okay it's a pagan religion 
والرومانز بعد كانوا باجن يعني there were so many different religions and philosophies out there because the Arabs were disconnected it's kind of like they were an empty cup so what's easier to fill an empty cup or a, f- or a filled up cup empty cup فكانوا يعني الفطرة عندهم سليمة you know not corrupted it's very 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 um, difficult to to convince someone or, or try to present a deen to someone who's read a lot of philosophy and been exposed to a lot of different ideas and there's just so many doubts and so many questions and that's uh, on that note for those of you I'm sure there's a minority here of people that like like to read about philosophy it's always best to read these texts with a scholar like someone of knowledge it's dangerous to read them alone some books literally are يعني, dislike to be read alone you need to be you need to read them with a mentor someone who's a master of that field so that they can uh, make you understand it's meanings in the right way like for example people like Ibn Arabi Samata Ibn Arabi okay no need to even mention that <laughs> okay but exactly yeah yeah stay so <laughs> no please don't don't google don't read but his books especially people like him don't read them alone it's like um, yeah it's like yani It can do more harm than and then benefit. Yeah. So read it with an expert, and uh, يعني, good luck finding an expert in Ibn Arabi's work in these times. صعب, yeah. So another positive quality of the Arabs, كانوا, يعني, thick-skinned, because they lived in the desert, harsh conditions, they were used to hardship. They had a lot of stamina. I mean, you know, I was just driving to Riyadh last weekend and like we were looking at the camels. Just look at the camels themselves, a symbol of stamina. They're known as the ships of the desert, literally. They can, I think, survive how many weeks without water and drink? Like months, right? I think. SubhanAllah, amazing. And Allah says, أَفَلَا يَنظُرُونَ إِلَى الْإِبْلِ كَيْفَ خُلِقَتْ Do they not see the amazing cre- creation of this camel and then after that he says wa ila samaa'i kayfa rufi'at wa ila al-jibaali kayfa nusibat wa ila al-ardi kayfa sutihat so it's all these grand creations of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala the sky the mountain and the earth and he puts the camel بعد معاهم that's how amazing this creation is and so al-romans and the persians then that advanced warfare, military, they have like so much extra accessories to carry. Dalain, basically. You know, the Arabs were like tough. I think the best example of this would be like Afghanistan nowadays, right? Like, Marufin, Afghanin, Jibal, tough. You know, Ma'andahum like Dala. Did someone have a question or a comment? I heard something. ايه ايه طبعا الحين ايه الحين لا بوليفارد وشغلات و 
<laughs> By the way, it's amazing. Yani, whoever hasn't been, لحقوا عليه قبل. Especially like Boulevard World, it blew my mind. صراحة. Take the kids if you have. It, you will have a blast. Like I give it a five out of five. صراحة. المهم. Back to Sira. Uh, another positive quality is bravery. Shaja'a, yeah, extremely brave, the Arabs, Kano. Um, and honesty. Interestingly, the Arab, Kano, very peculiar about being honest. Yani, Sidq and was a, a very high value. And, and the biggest example of this was when Hiraqal asked Abu Sufyan about the Prophet, he said, he said the truth. He could have easily lied and, and deceived the king, but he didn't. Because it goes against the values of an Arab to lie. Fasidq was a big, it's a big uh, value for Arabs. This is all pre-Islam, by the way. Okay? So these are all strengths that can be turned into opportunities. Literally, SWOT analysis. And then there is this idea of honoring your oath. وَالْمُوفُونَ بِعَهْدِهِمْ إِذَا عَاهَدُوا Fulfilling their promises, their oaths. Did they know the promise Abdul Muttalib made to God? That if he gave him ten sons, what will he do? He'll, he'll uh, re- rebuild the well of Zamzam, but he also sacrificed one of his sons and he honored it. You know? ما غير حتي But this integrity of the word, بدون witnesses, بدون contract, nothing. خلاص كلمتي تمشي. Done. And this is something we're lacking in, 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 in these days, right? Unfortunately. Right? It has to be in writing and witnesses and you know, they violate. But this is something that Islam um, came to kind of Enhance in the Arabs Like literally I think it's Surat uh, It starts off Fulfill your promises The first lesson Or I think it's Al-Ma'idah Sorry Another, another positive thing was their ex- extremely good skills in horse riding. Fakano, يعني, uh, very fit. Horse riding, by the way, if anyone has never done, tara, requires a lot of fitness. يعني, lower back muscles, the coordination and strength of your arms and balance. And, and if you fall off a horse, like, get injured they're tough you know so they can take that they would say like people like Umar bin Khattab would get on a horse literally without even stepping on the high this thing that you put your foot in a saddle like without even stepping into that thing and he would just literally climb on the horse that's how huge he was and of course, language for them was a, as a big advantage also. It was, okay, so there's no literature, no literature, but the eloquence and the shi'r and poetry and uh, the detailed expression was, it's definitely a strength. 
And that's something that the Quran blew their minds away when, when it came down. It was Stakhfalamu poetry, but language on uh, on steroids and something completely different, something very unique to what they had ever heard. Ukani kun andahum competitions every year, uh, and then the best poetry would be would be hung literally on like someone whom al on the Kaaba as an honor for the winners, literally all year long. But for people who were so skilled in poetry, when Quran came down and they heard it, they knew right away in Nahadi Mub Kalam Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam Lish. Exactly. And, and this wasn't the way he used to speak. They've known him for how many years already? Like 40 years, صح? They know how he speaks. He speaks. eloquence. But the moment the Prophet ﷺ started reciting Quran, they knew that this is It's like someone today, I start speaking like Shakespeare all of a sudden. Right? You guys will know right away how Mubana Yani, you know? That's similar to that. So Chidi Kano Majnoon and he goes to meet like uh Sahara that he maybe has secret like uh scholars that are teaching him but accusations that were very shallow. Deep down inside they all knew Nahadi Kalamullah. That's their egos and their uh, pride didn't allow them to follow it. And طبعاً, many did. Many did follow it. And of course, the wisdom of sending the Prophet to Arabia, Lana Ibrahim السلام, made the dua. Rabbana wab'ath fihim rasoolan minhum yetlu alayhim ayatika wa yu'allimhum al-kitaba wal-hikmata wa yuzakkihim innaka anta al-azizul hakim. We saw this earlier. But there was an opportunity here when the Arabs were the, the target for sending the final prophet confi opportunity Hajj by the way was the ultimate opportunity it's like an annual conference of Arabia literally he gets to share his message for all the Arabs the system is Yani, how many of you have ever put together an event and if you've put together an event, a conference, how much how much planning and, and work does it take? Months, right? You have to send out invitations, or logistics, coordination, or venue, and ekel, or seating, and stage, and speakers. I've done that also. It's extremely, extremely a lot of work, right? But in Arabia, for him to preach the message, the show is already taking place once a year, right? Hajj is coming. Yayin, yayin, huma. Yes. So, it's supposed to unify. But why is it that it came down only for the Arabs? Sure. So, it's supposed to unify. So, why did it come down Arabs? So, like, why is it like 
Mm. So the fact that it came down for the Arab, does it mean it's separating? No. Then the Quran had to come down in some language and clearly uh, the whole world isn't united on one language. لو نزل مثلاً بالصيني إحنا بنقع نصيح نشمعنا نزل بالصيني إذا نزل in, in Hindu we would say why not Arabic you know ف... there is a حكمة إلهية that it was sent down in the Arabic language but the fact that it's sent down in the Arabic language doesn't mean in that it's separating us from the non-Arabs and like we said the Quran can be translated and you can still seek guidance from the ayat that are muhkamat in any 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 language then the the message of the quran is very simple ta'alim al-deen very simple it's not cryptic at all yes you will miss out on the, some of the beauty of the language if you're not an arab but allah said for those of you who are non-arab there's a question the quran is easy for you to learn and study is there anyone out there willing to put the effort? But this is for everybody. Everybody. It's a call for everybody. Literally. Fa, on the one hand, it was sent down in Arabic because of the necessity of having to send it down in one language. After all, right? The Quran had to be sent down in one language. Now, why Arabia? We've been talking about it. Why Arabia? But is it a message for all of humanity? Yes. How? Because it can be, number one, translated into many languages. Number two, the real message is, is shared when the carriers of this message live that message and it comes out in your character and it comes out in your akhlaq and it shows in, your, in the way you carry yourself. Does that make sense? Yeah. But it's a good question. Fa, you guys get this point? Yani, hatta, by the way, yani, Hatta Salat al-Jum'ah is like an incredible uh, system in place that uh, I personally think is not being utilized fully. But literally, like for, for any given Salat al-Jum'ah, how many attendees are there, Shabab? At least. Yeah, in general, like any Jama'ah, كم واحد يصلي تقريباً؟ عدد عطني عدد. لا. What's the capacity of a Masjid Fatih, مثلاً? Any guesses? Hey, I, I, would think, I would think of the thousands. Move me out. Thousands. And the Masjid is full every single week. There's not, not a single message that goes out to invite people. Mafi pamphlets, Mafi social media marketing, Mafi search engine optimization. There's none of that. People but that, uh, Last in, first out. Hey, Best. What I'm trying to say is, coming back to organizing events and, and conferences, the system is and people show up every week. And they, يعني, whether they benefit from the khutbah, that's a completely different topic. But the framework is so powerful, so amazing. يعني, weekly meeting is And by the way, the sunnah is the women go, go also. It's a lost sunnah today. That's literally a weekly reminder. Weekly. This is like we're like hack doing like a hack, yani. But ideally, we're all supposed to be going to Jum'ah 
for that weekly powerful reminder by an amazing speaker who inspires, who's charismatic, who is, you know, wise and he's connected and he has the best public speaking skills and he um, uses visuals maybe in this day and age and he shares notes and there's recordings of it and people discuss it after Jumaa during lunch. The system is, the framework is there. Weekly meeting and then there's two Eid meetings that are larger in, in gathering and there's one ultra like convention which is Hajj. Every single year this happens. But is it being utilized? What kind of content is... Huh? I don't know, you tell me. I mean, I, I think enhancing the content would be a big one. For the opportunity, Quraysh uh, is a language that's understood by all. It's an opportunity, صح? لأن Arabia, Quraysh, remember they were so influential, صح? Why were Quraysh influential? Yes, but think of like strategically. Yeah, they were the middlemen between the trade, صح? The trade was going when... East to west, west to east, who was benefiting from the trade routes? Quraysh. There, it's very, very strategic. Colonized, always independent, doesn't know what dhul is. Very like, you know? And the Quran came to give them that honor in a much, much bigger way. It's a great opportunity for them. And that's why they had, like we said, courage, generosity, azzat al-nafs, confidence, strong personality. They were very expressive with their opinions because of the language they had. And just to show you how like, courage was instilled in the young uh, people at a very young age by the Prophet ﷺ. One day the Prophet ﷺ is sitting in a gathering of adults and on his right is a small child. This is after prophethood. So this is... يعني, while he's a prophet now. And of course, now the adab is to start with what? Which side? Al-Yameen. Now, on the Yameen is, is a child. And fi kabar fi sin. What would the Prophet do? Would he respect the elderly or would he, uh, would he respect the elderly and violate the, the correct way or would he do the correct way anyway in a smart way? He did the correct way anyway. Notice the Prophet of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala taking permission from a small child to start with the elderly. And, and giving this child like 
honor, you know, to like seek permission from him. And then the the child uh, was very intelligent. I want to be blessed with your drink. I'm sorry guys, but this is right. I have to start with him. Literally, but what do you think that that small encounter with the boy, what do you think that did to that boy? Just literally a small incident like that can change his entire life. You know, he spoke to him with, with adab, with akhlaq, gave him what was his right. And he, the fact that he spoke up, he could have said, yeah, of course, Ya Rasulullah, give the, give the, start with the elders. صح? But the fact that he said, look, I want it, that in itself tells you a lot about boys back then. You know? What do we do to our kids nowadays? Yeah, how, how do we speak to them? Do we honor them? Do we listen to them? Mafrud, صح? Again, seerah is for life. Fa and when we neglect our children, when we ignore them, when we diamond and we indirectly are telling them, you guys are useless, you guys matemshi and you are insignificant or you're not important. What you think is not important, what you say is not important, then you're still a kid. What does this do? It prolongs their childhood. So you have 18-year-olds that are still kids. You have 25-year-olds that are still kids. Do you see that? Yeah. 30-year-olds that are still kids. Exactly. Exactly. And no wonder then marriage is being delayed. Then, uh, of course, women want a man. Yani. They don't want a kid. Back in the days, they would get married very early on. 13, 14 year old, khalas, zawaj. And. Well, yani. صح, صح. They wouldn't live, uh, live beyond yeah. 30s, 40s max صح, صح. But Just to show you an example of how this has, there's an attempt to do this Since you mentioned it Allah Rahma Al-Hajj Saeed Luta in Dubai Does anyone know him? Saeed SS Luta group so I've, I've had the honor to meet him personally several times. He was the founder of Dubai Islamic Bank. Uh, mashallah, yani, very, very rare kind of person who had true love for the deen as well as Allah had blessed him with uh, a lot of wealth. But he chose to live a very simple life. I met him in the desert, literally. He used to live in a porta cabin in the desert. Assess Madrasa for Dubai. You can look it up, Luta Islamic School, something like that. I've visited that school. Uh, the model there is at the age of f uh, f 15, I believe, you graduate. Khas, 15, you've you finished school, and then he, he skips the whole university thing. He, because he's, mashallah, so wealthy, he has so many different uh, businesses. 
and the banking and the media and the, you know hospitals he has all sorts of different um, jobs that he can give you he after graduation he guarantees you a job so at the age of 16 you start earning oh, most of them are like young married right on a home what this does it it solves so many problems for society there yani um, the children are more mature they're empowered that model has been applied very close to home yani not easy but it has been applied and then another uh, interesting story about how the children back then had courage. Khan Umar ibn Khattab, whenever he like he had a very strong personality, most people were like didn't want to mess around with him. There was this impression that when Umar walks in the alley, run away. Then but once Umar Khattab is walking down an alley and Abdullah bin Zubair, a kid back then, 10 years old, uh, ran away except for him. He just stood there and like minded his own business. So, Umar went to him and asked him, I didn't do anything wrong. To you, why should I run away from you? I didn't harm you. I didn't do anything wrong. I have nothing to fear. Umar, he commended him on that uh, stance that he took. And many, many years later, Abdullah bin Zubair becomes a Khalifa. You can see that sometimes courage is so, so important to be instilled in our young generation and early age as us when they grow could end them that confidence you know? so speaking of uh, shaja'a I wanted to touch a bit on al-akhlaq it's an important topic we've covered it before but I think it's a good reminder that in, uh, what was the Prophet's mission? Inna akhlaq. Exactly, right? But Lish to complete. Lana. A lot was missing. There was a lot already there also. All the previous prophets were also coming up with akhlaq. Okay? But some akhlaq got corrupted, some were missing. But he just came to complete them. And since uh, we're beginning seerah, it's important to have this foundation of al-akhlaq. In our tradition, we have a science called usul al-akhlaq. Just like you have usul al-fiqh, you have usul al-aqidah, you have usul al-akhlaq, like literally roots of al-akhlaq. Shino mufrad akhlaq? Khuluq. Shil farq bin khalq and khuluq? Very good. Khalq is the outside and khuluq is the inside. That's why a beautiful dua to make when you look at yourself in the mirror is Allahumma kama ahsanta khalqi fahassan khuluqi. Oh Allah, just as you've made my outside beautiful, make my inside also beautiful. So what does khuluq mean? Literally, hayat al-nafs, like what your nafs is like. 
If your nafs is pure, your akhlaq will be pure. If your nafs is impure, akhlaq will be impure. And so when you look at someone who has bad akhlaq, how do you how, what's the strategy to, to fix that? Tazkiyat al-nafs. It has to happen internally first. No matter how much you talk to them about akhlaq and truth and honesty and respect, unless there's a change in the heart, there's always going to be issues with the akhlaq. Are we living an azma of akhlaq today? We claim to be the followers of Muhammad who was the peak of akhlaq, صح? They, they call him Al-Insan Al-Kamil. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, So indeed, we were, when we come, to, come into this world, we were born on this fitrah, but then what happens? Life happens, صح? And we get corrupted, and then we need to do some work to uplift our akhlaq again. But there's certain terminologies that I wanted to mention. What the nafs looks like from the inside. There's also something called a tab. What is a tab? Exactly, or habits. Like <laughs> Like someone who gets uh what are give me examples of tab. On a tab'i kaslana mathan. A tab'i asar fillelu magum min wat, right? It's something that you're used to doing, but it's, it's different than khuluq, okay? And then you have something called al-gharizah. What is al-gharizah? Instinct, yeah. So it's, th these are the animalistic instincts. We share al-gharizah with animals. Gharizah al-akil, gharizah al-shurb, gharizah al-jins, al-nawm. These are bodily instincts that are, that are shared between us and animals. وبعدين عندنا بعد شغلة اسمها الأدب. What is أدب؟ It's different than أخلاق. أدب is more like etiquettes. Yeah. Yeah, like politeness, the way you speak, the way you sit, the way you look at someone, your de your demeanor. It, and it's it's focuses on the smaller things. The adab is usually about how you carry yourself, your small small actions. And then you have finally al fitra. What is al fitra? So something you're born with that's inclined to the truth. Your fitra is what you're born with. It's like a seed inside of every human being that has an inclination towards the truth. It's waiting to hear the truth. It's waiting to be watered. Okay? But then parents corrupt it and hide it and all sorts of things. But it's still there. Right? Fitra is always there. And al-kufr is literally hiding that fitra and covering it up, literally. is being ungrateful and hiding. Kufr comes, like the Quran describes farmers as kuffar. Did you guys know this? 
because uh, they they hide the seeds deep into the ground and cover it with soil in the sense of that ayah it's talking about as in farmers who hide the seed deep into the ground so it's not it's not talking about kufr as in disobedience of God and denial of God. It's talking about them burying the seed. But kufr in the Arabic language means to cover something, that seed inside of you that's deep, that the seed of the tr- inclination to truth. You're not watering it anymore. You've neglected it. You've buried it deep down inside and it's, it's being neglected. But that's kufr. And another meaning of kufr is ingratitude, opposite of shukr. Okay, فَعَرَفْنَا الْخَلْقُ is your nafs's state. طَبْعَ is your habits. الْغَرِيزَ is your human instinct, desires, yes? And then we had adab is your etiquette, the way you carry yourself. And then you have آخر شيء الْفِطْرَة which is your, the seed that's inclined to the truth, yes? Yes, everyone's born with the same level of fitrah. That's uh, from the justice of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We all have that same playing field. It's all equal. But then, do genetics play a role and your family? And of course, advantages and disadvantages of each situation. But that, that's the test of life. Our tests are completely different. But the tools that are available to you, the basic tool is the same. But do some people have advantage over others? Yes. Does that make sense? So, in terms of our creation, talking about akhlaq, there's four powers that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has blessed us with. Two are internal, two are external. Or... To be more specific, two are built in us and two we can get from the outside. Okay, we can attain them from the outside. The two inner powers are desire and anger. Ashahwa wal ghadab. Kilinsan and ashahwa wal ghadab. And it starts off at a very young age, doesn't it? Yahal, they're inclined to sweet things at a very young age. Hatta al ghadab. As they get older, right? They get cranky. I want that toy. I want that cupcake. I'm not going to share. That's mine. It's not yours. They start being like, yani, uh, stubborn. صح? And they fight and they break things. And And then the one that's gained from the outside is... Uh, Al-aql, it's, it's knowledge for the mind. And how do you get that? How do you nurture your mind? Through two things, observation and thought. So education is a mix of observation and thought. Yeah. Even that. So that's part of observation, exactly. Your observation of life, events, whatever knowledge you're exposed to, and thought. Bad. Okay? That's why hafz al-aql is so important in our deen. Because if you're, if you're smoking joints all day, are you going to be doing any thought or any observation or any deep intellectual thinking? No. You're going to be lazy, you're going to be numbed out. And, and the second 
The second power from the outside is the, the revelation, is the deen. And this is something external that Allah gifted us on top of our minds. And this is, of course, for us, it's the Quran, it's the Sunnah today, yes? For four powers, two internal, two that can be attained externally using the mind and revelation, which is a deen. Now, mawdu al-akhlaq is very simple. It's basically striking the balance. Okay, al-wasatiyya. And when you're not striking the balance, either you're doing excessiveness of something or you're being negligent about something. Okay? When it comes to, for example, desire, our shahwa, what is excessive shahwa called? Addiction, lust, someone um, mujoon bil Arabi, mujoon, like just overly uh, indulged in your appetites and desires, over, yani, okay? he's he's not doesn't care about his shahawat or neglecting them. What do you call him or her? Barid, صح يعني? there's something abnormal about this person, right? That's why in our deen, it is um, celibacy is haram, right? Yes. يعني, you're encouraged to get married. You're not supposed to. Celibacy is. Shouldn't act celibacy. I'm sorry, I'm not the wrong word. It's what the priests do. No? Hey, sorry. Celibacy, صح? Yeah, please. Uh, just check the the term. Shallow chat GBT Prachi. If a celibacy is what priests do, and it's. Forever, eh? For, for that's what I meant. Eh? 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 What I was referring to is permanent celibacy. And khalas, uh, committed to not getting married, that is not not balance. Zain? It is. The Quran calls it. وَرَهْبَانِيَةً اِبْتَدَعُوهَا مَا كَتَبْنَاهَا عَلَيْهِمْ بس the fact is that you didn't get married not because you refused to get married it just didn't happen but what you're saying is making a commitment that I will never get married because it's haram that's going the other extreme Allah made it halal you can't make something Allah made halal haram you know and that's what the, I was referring to the ayah وَرَهْبَانِيَةً اِبْتَدَعُوهَا مَا كَتَبْنَا عَلَيْهِمْ in Christianity, the priests who've come up with this idea, it's they've it's an innovation, they've invented it. We didn't write it upon them. When we talk about desire, shahwa, when you balance it, when it's balanced, you get which is modesty. That is the desire, uh, that is the khuluq we want. It's one of the root akhlaq, al-iffa, modesty. So you have a balanced approach to your shahawat. 
in your in your food in your sexual appetite and sleep what are other shahwat we have money bad a wala taj'al yadaka maghlulatan ila unuqik wala tabsutha kullu albast don't be so stingy and greedy li ant kullish yani miyawit wala tkun min almubadhirin those who ex- like extravagantly waste and just are not good uh, stewards of money and they just like have no management فَإِنَّ الْمُبَذِّرِينَ كَانُوا إِخْوَانَ الشَّيَاطِينَ Allah says, those who waste money. فَالْفْلُوسْ أَمَانَةً you, you, you manage it. <coughs> Personal finance management is a skill every one of us should have. It's an amana. Uh, same thing, before marriage, الْعِفَّةِ is maintained through what? Fasting, to control your temptations, a big one. One day, a, prof, uh, a, a young boy went to the Prophet and said, Ya Rasulullah, I want to get married. Haddi wasal, maqdar, literally. And the Prophet told him, can you get married? He said, no. Then he told him, then fast. Yes, it's, it's medicine to calm down the, the fire of temptation. Then the hormones are going crazy. And of course, other practical advice here is get active with something. Don't have free time. And a free time invites uh, bad habits, simply. And addictions and all sorts of things. But when you're busy, you're playing a sport, you have a hobby, you're learning something, you're contributing in some way, your energy is being uh, used up in, in a healthy manner. And uh, early marriage, if you can. You can't fast and stay active and keep your mind focused yeah, uh, on something. Don't like free time and boredom is is dangerous. And then we said when when there's extreme shahwat, then you have what's called mujun, excessive. And and when there's no shahwat, this burud, insan barid yisir. And in marriage, like it's so many couples struggle from this, right? Uh, Erectile dysfunction and all sorts of things. Why? There's, it's not a healthy uh, marriage. It's not a healthy relationship intimately also. For that balance is extremely important. Yani from a sexual perspective, having balance and satisfying the desire within the boundaries that Islam has put for us is extremely, extremely important, especially in marriage. And the needs are there for both the man and the Women, and unfortunately, we live in a society. Killing adults, we can speak about this, but we live in a society where, يعني ال الريال هم الوحيد is to satisfy desire or بس ينام يعني you know like he neglects the needs of the wife. Do you guys agree with this? And كأن بس هو اللي he needs to satisfy himself والمرأة ما عندها her own needs. And in fact, in a, in a hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, the Prophet actually gave advice about this. Two men, in that before you satisfy yourself, make sure that the woman, your wife, is satisfied first, and then you satisfy yourself. But for intimacy, there's our Sharia has adab. It's really incredible, yani. لا حياء في الدين. 
these topics are extremely important to يعني, we need to talk about them we need to educate the youth about them people who are early married or getting married or you know married already just by fixing that relationship that intimacy between husband and wife can take your relationship to a different level and of course in ifa comes it's not just for for women hatta men the way you dress modesty صح? the way you carry yourself the way you dress the way you, your appearance يعني they say Uthman رضي الله عنه كانت الملائكة تستحي منه literally you know one one day they were all sitting in, in a room Uthman is like his legs were exposed Rasulullah dash عليه see that he covered his legs you know like فهي had this حياء يعني and uh, it's also something that is uh, Shway missing in our society nowadays? What do you think? Yes? Why Why do you think that's the case? Social media, culture, normalization. Trends, Western influence. Lack of hawiya, صح? When you don't have an identity, then you copy-paste other identities. Again, it's a mythal of uh, adab, يعني. صح. Again, the example was Uthman bin Affan was شوي, let's say, not like the average kind of person. You know, كان عنده extra adab مع الرسول صلى الله عليه وسلم. If you were, but what I'm saying is, why is it disrespectful back then? Yeah. Let's define haya. What does it mean? Modesty is the closest term to it. Al ifa would be the best best uh, word to focus on. It's uh, it's a pulling force. You want to expose, but you hold off. You cover. You um, control what is seen and what's not. It's very, very peculiar about what's seen and what's not. But beyond the shara, there's something adab. I wouldn't go if, the, if His Majesty, the King, invited me over to his palace. Would I go in shorts? I wouldn't. That's what, we're, that's what I was referring to. Then, for modesty is very broad, yeah. haram. It's about respect and uh, reverence. by the way, if you go in shorts, they don't let you in. Do you guys know this or no? Hey. Um, فالعفّة is one of those roots. Modesty. Modesty in the way you speak, modesty in what you watch. Like I said, it's a like it's a pulling force. For Manatin, the nafs wants to go ahead, but you, it's like you're holding on to the reins of a horse. You pull back. 
your nafs wants to see a certain thing, a certain show that has maybe filthy images and content, but you say, you know what? No, I'm not gonna. I'm, I'm not gonna watch that. I'm gonna forward. I'm gonna skip. Your nafs wants to hear something, but you hold back. You want to wear something, but you hold back. You say, you know what? No, this is too much. I don't want to expose that much. You want to um, say something, you hold back from saying. Al-Affa is a very broad term that highlights this pulling back and being uh, careful of how you pr- proceed. Um, don't you think this Halian, the definition of much differs from a person to another? Especially Halian. Mathalan, I can be wearing Mathalan. Shorts are not too much for me, but Mathalan, something above the knee is too much. For another guy, my name is going to hurt. Right, right. But right, in terms of al-awra, it's very clear in our shara for the man. Yeah. يعني, it's between the navel and the knees, and the, for women, it's also very clear. For we have the boundaries, but anything extra is, of course, But what I'm trying to say is dressing. And appearance is just one aspect of al-iffa, you know, it's broader than that. It's your ability to have self-control. And so when you balance your desires, whether it's food, iffa in your food, in your activities, not being lazy, yani working out, being active, that's part of iffa also. Um, how you carry yourself, your shahawat, kill the shay. Does that make sense? And then the second one was anger, right? We said, and these are all treating the inner ones. So just like Ifa, your desires want to come out. It's like that horse that wants to go and you want to pull it back. Anger is something that uh, also needs to be tamed. Needs to be balanced. Is all anger bad? No, some anger is, is healthy. يعني, you know, A lot of uh, positive causes today to solve humanity issues is a result of Positive anger, صح? Like for example, you're angry about pollution, you start It started off with what? Anger, you know, and then it, it translates into something positive. So when you balance anger, there's a beautiful hadith of the Prophet where he says that true strength is not fighting and wrestling and fight, putting someone down in a wrestling match. True Courage and shaja'a is when you're able to hold yourself back when you're angry. And hey, that's one aspect of it, one aspect or one way it can come out. الأخلاق have, have uh, categorized courage as uh, a way to balance anger. You need, you need courage to be able to say, you know what, I won't get angry. I'll be patient. Patience comes. And then when there's extreme anger, that leads to tahawar or extreme violence. And then we have lack of uh, anger. Then how is someone, you know, 
جبن صح؟ being a coward فالشجاعة والعفة زبدة الكلام أن الشجاعة والعفة are the two main roots of الأخلاق عند علماء الأخلاق yes. Yeah, it's a very good question. How to treat anger? So, يعني the yes, yes. So there's there's tools to deal with anger on the spot, like washing your face with cold water during wudu, changing your position. If you're sitting, you stand. If you're standing, you sit. You تستعيد بالله مشتر رجيم. Uh, these are like, uh, let's say, instant kind of tools to deal with it. But the long term, for someone who has anger issues, recurring anger issues, the the bottom line is تسكيت النفس, purifying the nafs. And and uh, who said dhikr is the answer? Yes, absolutely. Dhikr is the ultimate way to settle your anger and to be more self-controlled. Fasting, I'm, yes. I'm, uh, I'm uh, fasting for because I'm in love with food and I eat so much and I, I've been struggling with weight loss. But I'm seeing that fasting is actually helping me. I'm trying to fast at least once or two times in the week, and I feel yeah, alhamdulillah. Like you know when you said it about the gut. No, me. You know what? Okay, to be honest, me too. Sometimes, sometimes I'm exhausted because I'm trying my best and I do two two times a week. I know it happens to me. This, yani, you need to amazing. ignore that this is happening and keep going, because it's been helping me. Yani, and alhamdulillah, I feel like I'm, I'm getting better with <coughs> my relationship with food. Because when you mentioned the, the boy and the Rasulullah told him that, uh, with me with food, it's been helping me. Yani, I'm like, oh, خلاص, I'm just gonna start fasting. This, this is the first time I hear this, and I, and it's been helping me. Alhamdulillah, yani, alhamdulillah. alhamdulillah like, my my uh, cravings, I mean, food, shway, shway, you know, like. Great, great, it's great. So just like we balance the desire and we get ifa, we balance anger, we get shaja'a. Let's finish off with al-aql al and we're finished then, inshallah. Okay? Yes, please. Go ahead. Sorry, sorry, go ahead. What we're talking about is shaja'a now, courage. Excess courage can lead to violence and and oh. disruption, and lack of courage can become. Oh. shaja'a is what we're focusing on. Thank you for clarifying that. Yeah, excessive iffa um, can lead to burud. Excessive iffa can lead to. Um, Burud, يعني واحد يكون بارد وهذه and very lack of عفة can lead to مثل ما قلنا المجون and just indulging in your desires. That's the shaja is the balance here. Lack of shaja is jibun. Excessive shaja can lead to تهور and 
So it's not anger that we're looking at, we're looking at shaja'ah itself. And then the mind, بعد نفس الشيء. The balance of the mind is when you have حسن النظر والتدبير. So beautiful, you know. Your, your observations are sound, they're beautiful. And then you use your mind to plan. To plan beautifully. Allah give us this, this mind to plan. Without a plan, quote, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. King Richard in the film. Al-Aql is there for us to plan, to plan your day, to plan your week, to, pl- to plan your children's upbringing, schedule, to plan how to achieve your goals, requires planning and of course observation also requires a certain ans- element of balance. Best when this, this mind becomes, you're extremely smart but, but you're using it with an evil intent. Can you be extremely smart and, and you're evil, uh, using it in an evil way? Yes, that's called makr. Okay? It's when you plan evil things and you start using your mind to like rob a bank and all sorts of evil things. Yeah. You're, you're super smart, but best the imbalance leads you to use it for evil, not for good. Uh, like things like um, Tinder, Swindler, you know, very smart, but then they use it to manipulate people who... And then on the other hand, nurturing the mind, unfortunately, غباء, يعني, you know? You have just. Right? Yes, yes, yes. And they're doing all these documentaries. Yes, yes. Exactly. Yes, yes, yes. It's an accomplishment. They bring it in a way like they want to tell you the story. Exactly. They make them so love with And they make them, you know, look so Yeah, yeah. Like this guy, you know, I watched a couple of episodes of it. It was something about like this guy who was sick minded he he literally bought a hotel a motel and reconstructed it in a way so that he could peek into every single room to see what people are doing in the room for more than 35 years yeah literally and he was documenting everything sick or, or basically he, he came up to Netflix and said guys I want to tell my story before I die and now in Jaws yeah in the haram, all this, all this mastery, all my skills, no one will know about it. Haram, what a waste, Yani, you know? Yes, yes. So be mindful of what you watch, what you consume. Time is limited. Um, yes, we have on-demand TV. That's great. It's better than يعني, a yom awal. You had to watch what is on. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, but at the same time... 
So I think that Husnat Tadbir and Husnat Nazar in what you watch and what you, like literally what you watch, you gotta plan it. Like, Alama, when I sit before deciding, like when it's movie night, I spent like an hour just researching what movie is suitable for the evening, what will have, you know, the least number of scenes and the most benefit and the most meaning and most inspiration. So you need to plan it. What, what is Netflix suggesting to me today? Or what is. You know? Exactly. Algorithms sometimes work in, in your favor. Last one, then I, I'm getting hungry, Shway. <laughs> the deen, the, the light that comes from revelation. Nafsishay, when we nurture it in the right way, when there is knowledge plus action. You get the fruits of this beautiful revelation, which is al-hikmah, wisdom. But then, the, where there is negligence, there's excessive knowledge, basmafi amal, then you get diseases like arrogant scholars and scholars who create separation and hatred and cults. And you have ujb, scholars who think narcissistically about themselves. Did I say it the right way? Narcissistically. I have no idea how to spell that word. You have people who have actions. Best, it's all for show off. It's all to like create a name and, a f- and fame and popularity. And then you have nifaq also. People who on the outside, shay, udakhil shaytani. Very, very serious diseases of the heart. All four of them are. Yes, so Riyah, like we said, Shirk al Asghar al Riyah, yes, because you're Ta'abideen al Nas, Ma'Allah, you know, you're, you're doing it for Allah, and by the way, guys, see what I'm doing, you know. Baynama al Nifaq is clearly you, you are an enemy. There's two types of Nifaq, right? There's Nifaq uh, in. Like deep down inside you're a disbeliever but you're acting like a believer because you want to harm the Muslims okay and then there's there's a, a minor type of nifaq which is hypocrisy as in well uh, I'll take part of the deen but the deen the part of the deen that I don't like I let go if I yes a kid it's hidden, yeah. Of course, yeah, yeah. Yes, exactly. And if you, and the Prophet mana'na from accusing others of being munafiq, because that's the number one sign that we are a hypocrite. And some signs of them, there's four in the hadith. إِذَا حَدَّثَ كَذَبٌ When they speak, they lie. وَإِذَا وَعَدَ أَخْلَفٌ When they promise, they break their promise. And when they are given and entrusted with something, they break the trust. And number four, When they get into an argument, they explode in rage and anger. Cursing, you know, they're unable to carry themselves. But um, yeah, all of this stuff is, is 
and I'll close with this comment, right? Disease of the heart, al-nifaq, al-kibr, al-ajb. Hatta when you ask about anger and um, self-introspection is extremely important. Yisamuna al-muraqaba, right? Muraqaba, you are. Sorry? Yeah, self-awareness. And uh, this is extremely beneficial when you do it with a, with a guide who has mastery in this field, as, in the spiritual sense. Then uh, we can, the, the nafs is very self-deceiving. And you ask anyone, uh, do you think you're a hypocrite? I Do you think you have a riyah? No, 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 alhamdulillah. Okay, Do you have ujb? Uh, of course, no. Shunal yeah. ujb, by the way, we forgot to mention it. What is ujb? It's when you look at your degrees and you say, yes, and from my knowledge, I worked so hard, I studied so much. When you look at your trophies, yeah, all the hard work in the gym and, you know, all the efforts, I mean, you know, taking. It's very. If it comes down to gratitude, yeah. Exactly. لا حول ولا قوة إلا بالله. You know, وما توفيقي إلا بالله. Like all of our successes, all of our achievements. They're a gift from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this makes us very humble, you know, and um, it removes arrogance, ujb. Qarun, Allah gave him a lot of wealth. This is from my knowledge. Bainama Sulaiman was similarly given a lot of wealth. And what did he say? Hada min fadli, Rabbi, right? And he chose to be grateful. Spiritual uh, purification, dhikr, need, you need a spiritual master to help you, especially in this day and age. Lana, if you try to do this work on your own, you will be deluding yourself. It's a يعني, very, very difficult path, uh, difficult task to climb Mount Everest alone. I would want to go with one of the uh, Nepali like experts, you know, to take me up there. Inshallah, with that we conclude our session today. Subhanakallah, bihamdik, nashadun la ilaha inna ant, nastaghfirka wa tubu ilayk.